Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Today, we're going to chat with financial consultant Cassandra Dacent, who paid off $55,000 of debt in just three years. She'll share her story, what life after debt looks like, and what she's doing now to help others improve their financial lives. After class, Sensible Bobby shares her debt-free journey and why she believes anyone can do it. So right now, let's get to the fiscal fiduciary, the beast of budgeting, the curator of cash. Here is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. Happy New Year. Wow. 2020. The year of perfect vision. You know, when I started budgeting, my financial life was a mess, which included stress, anger, mismanagement, a ton of debt, and lots of fights with Scott. I had no vision because I saw no way out, no hope. But then I started budgeting and I gained control, control of my income, control of my expenses, and best of all, control of my life. Now I have vision, a clear picture of where I am now and where I want to go. And I'm confident I have the tools and skills to get there. I finally enjoy thinking about my financial future. When you look at yours, do you like what you see? If not, take heart. You can change it. And this year, this moment is the perfect time to start. How would it feel to decide how you spend your time, who you spend it with, and what you do based on what you want instead of what you can afford? How would it feel to have money waiting to pay your bills instead of having bills waiting to be paid, stressing about where the money is coming from? How would it feel to be debt-free? In this episode, you're going to hear two stories of debt-free journeys that I'm confident will inspire you to find your vision, picture the financial future you want, and start on your own debt-free journey. So let's get into it. Welcome back, class, to the first Sensible University of 2020. We're now in session. Today's guest professor is Cassandra Dacent, a financial consultant, educator, and speaker who focuses on how emotional awareness can have a direct and lasting impact on your relationship with money. Her purpose is to teach you how to EQ your way to wealth in order to achieve financial stability, wellness, and wealth. Cassandra, thanks for being our guest professor today. Thank you so much for having me today, Bobby. In 2009, you crafted a plan to pay off $55,000 in five years. Tell me the story. Oh, wow. So it's actually celebrating a decade of my debt payoff beginnings. So what happened was really I had accumulated that amount over a decade of just careless spending and just trying to show others that I was living successfully in life and realizing that I couldn't sustain it anymore. I came to a point where I really realized that I was at the maximum of my credit limits and credit grantors were no longer willing to extend me credit. 
And that's really what kind of forced my hand to look at my situation and say to myself that I had to do something about it. So what I did was really a multi-pronged approach, if you will. So obviously the main thing I did was to just evaluate what was I spending money on and see what could I cut. And one of the major spending categories was housing. And what I did to kind of speed up my process towards paying off debt was to give up my condo at the time. I was living in Montreal and Quebec in Canada, and I moved in to a roommate situation. So, you know, as a grown adult living on her own, I had not too long divorced at the time and choosing to move in with roommates. Um, that was for me very humbling, but I knew that that would immediately chop off about 50% of my current household spending. So that made a huge difference and that I directed towards paying off my debt. So that was a big first step. Then also evaluated other categories, minimized the non-essential stuff like the traveling I used to do and attending concerts or events or finding a lot more frugal ways to still enjoy life. So that was another thing I focused on a lot. Then I really learned conscious spending or values-based spending. So beginning to really understand what made me happy and not spending on things that didn't. Besides that, I earned more. I was not earning enough. I was earning below my potential and I learned how to negotiate for raises and use that again as added fuel to put on my debt. Also leverage my skills. At the time I was a singer, songwriter and musician. So I, instead of, you know, performing for free, well, I'm starting to charge now as a back vocalist, I'm starting to charge. Um, so multiple ways of earning income and also ensuring that I'm really evaluating my expenses. That's kind of what all kind of came together to make my payoff successful from a mechanical perspective in relation to money. What really made the difference to succeed and to stay out of debt up till now was the emotional work that I did to really recognize what were my emotional triggers what were the behaviors and my experiences and the education or lack thereof that contributed to this mess of a financial situation? So I had to really resolve all the backstory that fed into my actions with money and essentially reprogram myself to act differently with money if I wanted different results. So that is just really the culmination of how I was able to pay off my debt. Actually, sooner than five years, I paid it off in three and a half. At the moment you had your awakening and decided, I can't live like this anymore, I've got to change it, that's, of course, the most important first step. But then you have to figure out how to do it. And you talked about all the things that you did, but I imagine that they didn't all just come from you thinking it through. A lot of it can come that way, like just sitting down and really thinking, what do I need to do? But I assume that you had some resources you relied on as well. Absolutely. You know, my first inclination was to go online and, you know, start to read books, blogs, definitely videos. One of the books that really impacted me to this day is by Barbara Stanny, uh, Secrets of Six Figure Woman. That helped me to really understand that I had to do something about my earning potential and being able to see the value in myself and then translate that into the marketplace. So that was huge you know, smart women finish rich or grow rich or something to that extent. I think by David Bach, I read that. Definitely a series of books and blogs that I came online. J.D. Roth's blog was definitely one that I read from a long time. It definitely wasn't all my own thinking, although at the time I was working as a certified corporate credit analyst. So 
by the time I had started my debt payoff, I had a very fair understanding of how credit worked. Um, even though I was just being negligent with my own finances, I was very successful as a corporate credit manager. So I just took that information and that experience that I used in the business world and really just started to apply it to my personal life as well. Right. It's always a great combination when you can do that. You know, you you use what you've learned and what you read in other people's books and blogs and everything. But uh, when you're doing that, I've found that you also come up with a lot of your own great ideas, which I'm sure you did and certainly led to this point. So tell me about some of the best kind of nuggets that you happened upon on your own that helped you through this process? I think the first thing was I had to take responsibility. So it's not necessarily something that you read about per se, but going through the whole process of paying down debt, I always talk about it that it's from a mechanical perspective, you know, using, you know, whether it's a debt snowball, avalanche, whatever hybrid strategy that you come up with. But the first thing I had to realize was that I needed to own the mistakes that I made because I didn't want to repeat them. So I had to acknowledge that responsibility and take ownership of my situation. So that was really a key turning point for me personally that helped me to constantly remind myself, I got myself into this. I need to get myself out if I want to live differently. Now, let's Um, talk about that for a minute, because there's so many times, especially when we're talking about money, that there's a lot of shame and guilt and it can stop a lot of people from moving forward if they don't, like you said, take it and learn from the past in order to move forward. So what can you tell people about the balance of that? Because a lot of times we don't want to look back because we're too ashamed of it. But if we don't look back, it's hard to move forward. So how did you kind of grapple with that in forgiving yourself for your past mistakes, but also using it to move forward? The first thing I did was I call it sitting with your pain. I refer to it as sitting with your pain. And I allowed myself to feel the shame. I allowed myself to cry the tears. I allowed myself to feel that, you know what, this wasn't one of my best moments in life. And I sat with that for a little bit but I didn't stay in it. There's a big difference, right? You sit with it, but you don't stay in it forever. And then I realized that, okay, well, again, I'm the one that brought myself into this position, but I'm also the one core element that can dig myself out. I have that innate ability and that power. And we all do. It's just that each of us will come to our own reckoning, sometimes in different ways. Sometimes other people will help you to come to that personal reckoning. In my instance, I really had that inner strength to say to myself that, you know what, I know people around me in life who are successful and, you know, they're great with their credit. They're doing well. They're earning well. So there's no reason I cannot try to attempt this for myself and see what comes out of it. Right. So it was really just a personal decision to say, okay, I'm going to make peace with myself because I know I can't bring that with me if I want to experience life in a better way, in a more positive way, and have a stronger relationship with the money that I'm choosing to earn in my life. The other thing was that, you know, I think sometimes we forget how much effort we put in in order to earn our dollars, right? We sacrifice our time, we give up, you know, energy, we work long hours, and I wanted to just be better with my money. I wanted to see better results for my money and eventually have more money working for me so that I could begin to live life in a way that was more congruent with my values. Freedom, definitely. That's what a lot of this is all about so that we can make our own choices because when you're in debt, you're a slave to the lender. And that's exactly. And to yourself to some degree as well. 
That's for sure. And now I want to stay on that for a minute because you had talked a little bit a few minutes ago about negotiating your income and how that helped a lot. And that's a hard one for people. You know, they focus on cutting and budgeting, which is great. We all need to do that. But at the same time, increasing your income is going to help out a lot, as you found out. How did you find the best ways to negotiate your salary? So... The first thing that I started to do was actually pay attention to, you know, my contributions at work. So not only beyond the expected, but deciding to accept a project that was outside of my comfort zone or realm of expertise, for example. What really helped me was I took on a new role that was being offered at the company that nobody wanted. And at that time, I was, as I mentioned, I was working as a credit analyst and this position was in STEM. So I don't have a STEM background. I don't have a degree but it was an opportunity that I said to myself, I said, if I actually attempted this, who knows, I could just really shoot me into a different income level. And so I convinced um, my manager to send me to Ohio to do like a one week boot camp training class for this position to learn the mapping behind it. And from there on, that really changed my income trajectory. So part of it was learning new skills. And I have to imagine that another part of it is really confidence across the board because you have to have the confidence to go in there and say, hey, I'm worth more, right? Yeah. and But the thing is, I can say definitely, you know, at one point I was confident, but in the beginning when I made the decision to, you know, realize more income, I wasn't hundred percent confident, but I knew that I had been contributing to the company. It was just to find a way to communicate that effectively and learn to demonstrate it in a way that they can see the value in it. So at the end of the day, I showed that XYZ results generated XYZ dollars. And that's what they want to see ultimately is that you're helping them to increase profit, saving money on the other end. And that's what I was able to do with my results. So just cataloging it and then having just a frank conversation with your boss and then seeing how it goes. And sometimes it's not always about money. I've been able to leverage an extra week of vacation in exchange of an increase in salary. And that mattered to me, you know? So we don't always have to look at it always solely from a perspective of financial gain. It just depends on what you really want out of it. Right. And I've been reading and learning a lot more lately about adding value and and how much that contributes to how much you're paid and, you know, whether it's with a job or your own business. And it seems like if we want to increase our salary or our pay, no matter what that means, maybe a way to do it is just to sit down and create a plan or a message, like you were saying, showing someone how the value is added and what that means in terms of what you're giving, what you're getting back. But if you can sit down and write that out instead of just having it in your head, that might be a better way to go in with more ammunition. Oh, definitely. I I agree. You know, managers already have so much pressure on how to deal effectively with their teams that they will notice outliers who make their jobs easier. That's the number one thing I, I tell employees to think about is that what can you do that can help your manager or upper management make their life easier, make their job easier. If you're able to accomplish something of that nature, you will automatically be noticed and you will be you know, held in higher regard and that can translate 
in $2. Wow, what a simple concept, but so important, so valuable. Thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense. Now, let's go back for a minute to your path in paying off debt, because I know for me, when I was paying off debt, the hardest part was reining yourself in from wanting to go out and spend frivolously, right? I mean, I want to go out to eat. I'm tired of being at home, tired of trying to cut back and be good and everything. And and it seemed like it was so hard to find things that were fun to do without spending a lot of money. Did you have that experience and what did you do to combat that? Fortunately, I was... I felt blessed in my experience, not to say that I didn't have like FOMO. I didn't have that fear of missing out on events. And and because sometimes I did, I, I just didn't have the available cash to hang out with some of my friends who were attending great events. But for the most part, because I was a musician and a singer, I already had access to seeing a lot of shows for free or next to nothing. As a back vocalist, you know, I was able to attend like a lot of the major like jazz festivals and other festivals in Montreal, since it's actually one of the major places for music, especially during the summer. So from an entertainment perspective, I felt covered where I felt a lot more stressed was the travel component, because when I started paying my debt off in 2009, that is the same year that I met my now husband and we Uh, decided to get together and we were a long distance couple for four and a half years. He was based in New York while I was in Montreal. So for the early first couple of years, it was very tough because I'm paying down debt. That was my primary focus. So we went sometimes two, three, four months apart. And it's not like I was flying to see him. I was taking the Greyhound, right? That's a 10 hour bus ride. And likewise, he had established himself in the U.S., And he's a live sound engineer and has been an engineer for 20 years. But in the U.S., you know, no one really recognized his skills that he had brought from abroad. So he was essentially starting from zero. So cash was limited. So you can understand that it impacted our relationship. And it was a bit difficult for us navigating those early days because of lack of money. So definitely had some negative impact on me for sure. How did you deal with that? Did it make it that much more important to pay off your debt so that you wouldn't have that to worry about anymore and you would have more funds available to travel? Yeah, actually, it became my, um, you say in French, raison d'être, my reason why. Uh-huh. Um, when we knew we were very serious in thinking about marriage, I knew fundamentally that I did not want our marriage to start off with any debt. So that became like an added incentive for me to push hard and for me to, you know, work the extra hours, make the extra income, throw it at my debt so that. I would be able to start a new chapter in life debt-free, literally. And early on when we started dating, I was very open about my financial situation, explained how I got there, explained that I had a plan, explained that I wanted to do this for myself. And he was my cheerleader. But from a financial standpoint, I achieved that debt payoff as a financially single woman. So I definitely used that as a motivator to help me get it done faster than planned. And you certainly did. Three years instead of five. I mean, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, three and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now in 2012 is when you became debt-free. That was seven years ago. Talk to me about how you've managed to stay debt-free since then. I think it's because I never forgot how difficult it was to pay the debt off. Like what I sacrificed personally and how I felt through that process. 
you think as the years go by, I'd feel far removed from it. No, it's very present in my mind. And it's like a constant reminder of, I would never want to double back on that, on those efforts. Like those are almost Herculean in my, you know, respectively speaking. And I just say to myself, why would I want to punish myself by putting myself back into debt? Unless it's a severe situation, something like a medical illness or something where it's really out of my control, Mm -hmm. but the rest is in my control. I still have final say over what I spend. I still have final say over how much I would like to earn. So these things just kind of keep me level and my husband as well. We're both very focused on financial independence. We're focused on being able to take care of our families as a caregiver to both of our elderly moms. We financially support them to some extent. So we can't afford to go back into debt because then that would negatively affect our financial goals for today and the future. So that's what keeps us very, very focused and very dialed in. And honestly, life is good without debt. Like we only have our mortgage and we hope to be done with that in a few years. And I can tell you life is a lot easier when you don't have that burden on your shoulders. You know, for me, the hardest thing after I got out of debt was that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to my next goal beyond that because I'd been so focused on getting out of debt. And so when I finally did, I kind of got lax for a while before I figured out, oh, I need to go beyond this now and deal with what comes next. Did you have that kind of feeling or did you have a specific goal for after you got out of debt? We had a specific goal. So... We knew that the next step was I needed to immigrate to the U.S., you know, and essentially, from my perspective, start life anew, another chapter in life. And, you know, we wanted a home. And so that's where our money was going. It was going towards our down payments. It was going towards the immigration fees. Now we had to catch up because we're in our late 30s. My husband did not ever have any retirement savings, so to speak of. I had some, not much to call any talk about. So we knew that we had to really ramp up our financial standing. So that's where our money was going. We were saving upwards of 50% a year for a long time after we paid off debt. That's huge. Now, did yep. you ever think, because you talked about not ever going back into debt unless it was like a medical emergency or something that was out of your control. So do you focus more on like long-term savings and letting the short-term take care of itself? Or do you kind of have things that go along the lines of planning for short-terms like, you know, emergency savings uh, in case of, you know, medical bills and things like that that could put you back into debt? Definitely. We have a um, an emergency fund we've had it as high as eight months worth of essential spending. So we're talking generous five figures here. So that was very important for me because I value financial security. After having grown up in a very low income household, having dealt with, you know, five figure debt, for me, it was really important that we had a comfortable amount of money set aside to deal with, for example, if, you know, a family member died and we had to front the burial expenses or funeral expenses until, you know, we could get reimbursed, for example, or just even traveling to attend to the needs of a loved one. I travel back and forth to Montreal almost every quarter um, to visit my mom as she's living in a, in a private senior's home because I'm her power of attorney. So, you know, the car repair bill, I don't want to have to worry about those things. So we definitely do have our first level of savings. We have money in in brokerage account that's outside of our registered retirement plans. We, you know, I don't believe in keeping all your eggs in one basket. I don't mind paying a bit of tax on my interest that I've earned 
to know that I can access that money if I really need to. You know, credit cards are great. We just don't believe that that's necessarily the best way to manage an emergency. If you have no other choice, you have no other choice, but we have choices. So we're going to make them. Absolutely. And here we are at the beginning of a new year, 2020, the beginning of a new decade. So (laughs) what would you say to people that are looking to, you know, because one of the biggest New Year's resolutions is always, I'm going to get my financial life in order. So if somebody says that to you, that's a pretty broad statement. But how would you suggest that they go about kind of giving themselves a fresh start for a new year and a new decade? I think it's about approaching that in a completely different way. So money management is a year-round proposition. If you really want to see results with your money, if you want to see progress with your debt, if you want to be able to save more and invest more for retirement or buy a home, whatever your goals are, it's now shifting from, okay, well, it's a new year, you know, it's a new month, let's get going. It's just really about this is the first opportunity that I'm taking to look at my financial picture and see where I stand. So before you try to enact any plan, try to come up with any strategy, you need to get real with where you're at financially and understand what are your obstacles, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and then you can begin to make a plan for your money and then follow it up consistently because that's the thing is that you know, we get excited about something new and then two months in, you start to fall to the wayside and then you lose track. It's like a vicious cycle. And in order for you not to fall into that, you have to really look at it with a different lens. You are a financial consultant. Tell me what that means and what your program consists of. So I work with individuals, yes. And I actually work consulting with companies as well for their employees. So I am focused on what I call EQ your way to wealth. So EQ, for those who don't know, is stands for emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. And I help people to reach financial stability, wellness, and wealth through emotional awareness and understanding the behaviors, your language, your experiences that will reflect in your choices and actions that you take with money and help you to understand that, uncover what's not going right, and then help you to kind of reposition that so that from a mindset perspective, you're now focusing your thoughts, your emotions, your energies in a way that's going to help you to successfully manage your money, to be prosperous with your money, to make better decisions for yourself, your family, and further your goals. So as a financial wellness consultant, that's what I do. Okay. So let's say that someone comes to you and says, you know, I, I want to get out of debt, but I just have these really bad spending habits. And, you know, you're going to talk about probably triggers and how to deal with those. But what goes beyond that? Like you, you can sit with somebody and say, okay, these are kind of the mindsets that you grew up with that are putting you in the place of wanting to spend, or these are your triggers for when you want to go out and spend retail therapy, things like that. But what do you do that goes beyond that to help somebody? in the moment that they are triggered to then make different decisions? So the thing is that, you know, as an individual, you have to know what you're about. So are you really strongly connected to your goals? Do your values really matter more than, you know, when you're in a a shopping center and you see a new iPhone and you're like, oh my gosh, I I want the new iPhone. I, I need the new iPhone. No, it's really about taking a step back And maybe it's literally taking a step out of that store and just sitting down and just saying, well, why? Why is that a need? 
you know, and really starting to question yourself as to, well, why do I need this right now? Why is this so important? And then trying to rationalize literally your actions. And, you know, for example, you may go ahead with that purchase, but more often than not, you have a chance to return it. So when you do go home and you sit and you realize that, hey, you know what, this was an impulse buy. What drove me to do this? Let me analyze everything that happened and kind of try to make sense of why I did this. And if you are honest with yourself, you know, you don't need that iPhone. You're going to go back and return that purchase. So it's a series of steps that you have opportunities in many instances at several intervals to say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. What working with me does is to help you identify those intervals that you still have opportunities to say, oh, you know what, I recognize my behavior. I can do something about it. And it's not going to be a one and done situation. You're going to have the failures. You're going to have the setbacks. But the more you are practicing awareness, the more opportunities for success that you have with money. So I guess in thinking about that, it would make a lot of sense too, because if they can in the moment say, I know I don't need this, I'm going to step back or return it after the fact, there's really got to be a driving force behind the why of that too, right? I mean, beyond getting out of debt, they have to know why they want to get out of debt, what kind of life they're really striving for, right? Right. You know, getting out of debt from a cerebral perspective, yes, it's a financially wise thing to do. But for a lot of us, that is not going to be something we're going to connect with. For me, like I said, I made that connection of the why to my husband, to my soon to be husband, to my soon to be new chapter in life that held more meaning that gave me more purpose. So if people are starting to say, you know what, I never went to college, but I sure want my daughter to be able to go to college without worry. And I want to be able to help her afford to do that. Then you found something crucial to attach your desire and your behavior to change with money. That makes a huge difference. So is that what you mean when you talk about the concept of holistic wealth? Absolutely. So Wealth comes in many different forms. In my case, I support wealth with four pillars. My four pillars are spiritual, physical, mental, and financial. So if one pillar is struggling, for example, if my mental health and well-being is not doing that well, it may and can impact how I behave with money. I may become more impulsive. I may be inclined to say, oh, I don't have the energy and mental bandwidth to deal with you know, cooking meals this week, I'm going to just order out. And it can reflect in many interesting ways that unfortunately affects now your financial standing. And likewise, physically, if I'm not taking care of myself by simple acts like walking the dog or going to see my doctor once a year, that can adversely affect my financial standpoint because now I may run the risk of having to maintain a medical condition that I was not aware of. But if I had taken the time to honor myself physically, I would be better able to mitigate that. It's amazing how all those things come together. <laughs> and in so yeah. many ways you you don't ever think about. So thank you for all of your time in going over that. And since we are here in a new year, it's a perfect time for us to start thinking about these things. The idea of holistic wealth is a really great thing that I'd like to focus more on. How can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you individually or companies or anything like that? Sure. So you or anyone can contact me at my website. It's CassandraDason.com. If you or companies want to know more about EQ Your Way to Wealth specifically, that's EQYourWayToWealth.com. 
to connect with me on Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at Cassandra Dason. And I'm also on Facebook. It's called at Minding Your Money KD, where I also offer articles, commentary. I do videos from time to time in terms of financial topics, whether it's on individual components of money or from a financial wellness and emotional intelligence perspective. You can find me on YouTube as well. Cassandra, thank you so much for all your time today. Happy New Year. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks to you and Happy New Year to as well. A big sensible thank you to our guest professor and financial consultant, Cassandra Dacent. Visit her website at CassandraDacent.com. What a journey it's been for Cassandra. She managed to turn her life around and has stayed the course for seven years. She's an inspiration because getting out of debt is a huge feat. Staying out is an even bigger feat. She's living her dream because she made a plan and did the work instead of simply dreaming about it. Her why was to have the life she wanted with her husband. Mine was a bit different. I told part of my story on the financial horror story episode of this podcast, but I left a big chunk out, so I want to share it for those who feel destitute and hopeless, thinking your life can't change because you're too far in the hole, don't make enough money, whatever. I feel your pain. I've been there. So let me share the rest of my story, and hopefully it will inspire you to take the first step to getting control of your finances. Shortly after we got married, Scott and I started an audio production company. With 20 years combined experience, we thought it was a no-brainer. So we borrowed $20,000 and turned our spare bedroom into a recording studio. Things went well for a while, and we got a couple steady clients. But it was hard to find quiet times to record in an apartment where, if someone next door took a shower, the pipes sang through the walls. So we borrowed another $40,000 and remodeled an office space to fit our needs. The day we moved in, we lost two of our biggest clients, the only consistent ones we had. Tough blow. But we worked hard to get more clients and things were building, just not fast enough. Soon, it was clear that we could not afford our apartment and the office. Since we had an office lease we couldn't get out of, owed a lot of money, and were nowhere near ready to throw in the towel, the apartment had to go. So when Scott's parents offered to let us move in with them, we gratefully accepted, selling everything we owned except our clothes and some keepsakes. At this point, we were almost $60,000 in debt and barely making the bills to keep our doors open. Meanwhile, we were using credit cards to fund supplies for jobs. That was okay. We'd just pay back the credit card once we got paid, right? Except that never happened because there was always a bill that needed to be covered or more supplies we needed. And the best part? We always needed more equipment. We kept thinking if we could just add this new service, then the money would start pouring in. All that kept pouring in was the credit card debt. And it was easy to justify these purchases because they were for the good of the business. But we had no concept of the deep hole we were digging for ourselves in the process. Eventually, it was time to leave Scott's parents' house, but we still weren't making enough to cover expenses for the office and a home. And we still had a lease on the office. So we bought an air mattress, got gym memberships, and moved into the office. Wait, we're living in an office and we're getting gym memberships? Yeah, we needed a place to shower. It was great. People thought we were so committed to exercise because we were there every day without fail. (laughs) Truth was, we had to be there every day if we wanted to stay clean. 
We had a tiny refrigerator and microwave, a couple bowls, and some plastic silverware we kept reusing. Every night, we blew up the air mattress and slept in our recording booth. This went on for about three months until I got a job offer I couldn't pass up. I wanted to with all my heart. I had worked for this person before and wanted no part of working with him again. But we were desperate, basically homeless, deeply in debt, and in no position to say no. Once I took the job, we started looking for an apartment. The office lease would be up soon, and we knew it was time to move on. A month later, we moved into our apartment and closed the office. I'll never forget the first night we were in our apartment. Waking up and being able to walk to the shower instead of going to the gym felt so luxurious. For years, we'd done nothing resembling entertainment, never eating out, and our 10th wedding anniversary had been spent reflecting on that big party we always dreamed we'd throw on that day. We were definitely ready for a change. But it came at a price. I was now working in an environment I hated, and while the money kept a roof over our head and afforded us opportunities we hadn't had in years, I was miserable. Secretly, there were days I missed living in that office. During the next five years, we were paying down debt, but also taking on more. We financed a car, huge unexpected medical bills came our way, two surgeries, and on and on. It seemed like we were always putting out financial fires. I wanted out of my job so bad, but I couldn't find another job that would equal my salary, and I couldn't afford a pay cut because we were so deeply in debt. I always felt like we were fighting to keep from drowning, and every time I felt like we were getting our heads above water, something pushed us back under. It took me a long time to realize it was our decisions that kept pushing us back under. We weren't paying any attention to how our money was spent. We spent what we had trying to be happy in the moment because we thought it would always be this way. No way out. Finally, after years of producing a financial radio show, the subject matter boring me to tears, I was so desperate to get out of debt that I picked up one of the personal finance books sitting in my office and started reading it. It was called The 60-Minute Money Workout by Ellie Kay. You can almost see the giant light bulb go off above my head as I learned about the debt snowball method, the power of budgeting, methods she said could work at any income level. I laughed and thought, no way. My salary wasn't bad, but it wasn't much shared between two people in Southern California, so I didn't believe it could work for us. But I decided to try it just to be sure. What did I have to lose? Really, I was just trying to prove her wrong justify my belief that it couldn't work for us. Instead, what I found was amazing, life-changing, and most of all, gave me hope. I'll never forget throwing the book aside, running to my computer to jot down our personal information and do the math. I was stunned and so excited. I could see it with my own eyes. Numbers don't lie. I saw a way out and a timeline to get there. I could be free. Once I saw that, I was off to the races, learning everything I could and putting it into action, actually seeing results, watching our debt fall away. I actually enjoyed making debt payments because I was watching the balance go down and I knew eventually I would see a big fat zero. And I knew when. I was still miserable at work, but now I had hope. On my worst days, I would read over our plan just to get through the day, knowing this wouldn't last forever. 
All that time, all I needed was hope. And once I found it, I couldn't shut up about it. I was raving on Facebook about how I loved YNAB, my favorite budgeting software, and how I was bummed because I couldn't play with my numbers anymore until my next paycheck. I asked if I could please play with someone else's numbers. One of my friends asked if she could pay me to create her budget. I said, no, but I'll do it for free. That was it. We started working together and it was a blast for me. The best part? Seeing the light bulb go off in her head when she got it. She finally believed too. She told me I was a natural and should do budget coaching for a living. I thought she was crazy and laughed all the way home. But I couldn't let go of how fun I thought that would be. The day we made our last debt payments, I cried. I felt so free. How did we do it? We created a plan and followed it. It really was that simple. Did it take discipline and sacrifice? Yes, and it wasn't always easy. But we stayed the course because we wanted more choices in our lives. We held on to our why, and it worked. Now, all the money we used to spend on debt payments gets used for other things. A bit of fun, our savings goals, it's up to us. So no matter what your current situation or how much you're making today, you have the power to change your financial life. All you need is the belief that it's possible and a plan to get there. The beauty is you don't have to wait for a miracle. The power is within you. You just have to take it and get started. I can finally afford that pay cut, but my priorities have changed. Now that I'm debt-free, I want to build wealth so I have even more choices. I don't want another job. I want to spend my days sharing the hope, tools, and knowledge that have changed my life, gotten me out of debt, and are leading to more control over my life. So until I can make money doing that, I'll continue the job and use that money to share my knowledge with you through this podcast. There are a ton of DIY tools out there, including this podcast and the info on my website, as well as many other podcasts, websites, and books. But if you need a helping hand, someone to guide you through the process, or even just help you get started, reach out to me and let's work together. Go to the coaching page at sensiblechat.com and schedule your free budget consultation. However you do it, now is the time to take control of your financial life and see your vision in 2020. Along the way, let me know your thoughts. Share your success stories. Tell me what's stressing you out. If you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, let me know. If you want to be a guest and share your story, that's great too. Whatever's on your mind, let's chat. All my contact info is available at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening. Until next time, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.